judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back, everyone. Good morning. Welcome back. Good morning. We're recording bright and early because I had a fiasco yesterday at my dentist's office. Um, oh. I needed to get three cavities filled because so apparently I don't even eat many like sugary things, but like I have groovy teeth apparently, and like things just get groovy. Stuck in it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> just, <laughs> just like ridiculous rock beds in my mouth. So my teeth are super groovy and like everything gets caught in it. So I had three cavities that needed to be filled. My appointment was at 11, but apparently they like triple booked the doctor. So I'm sitting there from 11 and then I did like an Instagram post at like 11.45. Like I'm still here in this chair and nothing has happened. And we were supposed to record at one. So I'm like, okay, like let's, let's see if this like happens. And then finally the doctor comes in at like 12 and it's like, okay, I'm going to numb your mouth. And then she's like, okay, I'll be right back. And then she doesn't show up for like 45 more minutes. Like I didn't, they didn't start drilling into my mouth until 10 minutes to one. And I was like, well, I'm not going where I needed to go. And now my face is so numb that like, I can't do what I need to do when I get there. And I was just so annoyed. But like, like, they wonder why people have like such a dislike for the dentist. And this isn't on the dentist because the dentist wasn't the one doing the scheduling. It sounds like from what you were telling me yesterday that, they were super stressed, kind of taking it out on your mouth, but... uh <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, this definitely is, like, the office manager's fault for, like, triple booking. I think it's, like, you know, like, the airlines are like, oh, someone will cancel, but, like, no one did. No one canceled. And, like, it was really hard to get a Saturday appointment, which is, like, what I wanted, because usually they're like, we have nine to five, and I have to take off from work, and that's annoying. But I was like, mm-hmm. I'll take, like, the hour, hour and a half to go get this done Saturday morning and then move on with my day. And, like, my whole day was shot. Like everything I was supposed to do, I did not do. I ended up just coming home and like napping and trying to like sleep off the numbness. And she didn't numb me again because she waited so long in between fillings. So like it was, it was not a good time. She was frustrated. And I was just like, I have a very good relationship with this dentist because I I hate going to the dentist. Yeah. I found one that I like. And I have a good relationship with her. And I was like, I almost feel like I should leave now in order to preserve the relationship because it got like, like I've mentioned before, like I talked about getting my wisdom teeth pulled, like how barbaric dentistry is. Like they're just pulling and pull, pulling and pushing in your mouth. And it's like trigger barbaric. warnings for you dental. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. And I hate going. And I'm like, all right, this is like, I need to like actually floss. I don't have these problems. So we ordered a whole bunch of uh, little floss sticks. So I don't oh, have to right. have these problems I can avoid. Cause I'm like, am I going to be a person who doesn't go to the dentist? Because like, I don't want to now. Like, I don't want to go after this, this weekend. It was really, that's what I'm saying. Traumatizing. Like, it's horrible. People already struggle so much with going to the dentist that you have to make it as easy and enjoyable a process. And this dentist, again, mm. not the one who triple booked themselves, no. but is put it, being put under all this pressure, knowing she's falling so far behind and stressing out, like even more from it it's Mm. it's not fair to anyone it's not fair to her it's not fair to the patients I think that's why I tried to be so chill because I was like okay she's definitely not getting a lunch break today like so the dental hygienist that I was working with was like 
kind of catty and like gave me a lot of tea and like left up like the schedule window. So I saw that she was booked literally from like 9 a.m. to like five, like wall to wall patients. And I was just like, oh, damn, she's not having a good day. I, like everyone here is miserable. So like I'm not going to make it any worse for anybody by like complaining because like what would have been the point? Like I still waited. I would have needed to wait. Like I didn't want to have to come back and like do it again. I was like, let's just get it all done in one shot. Yeah. No, I mean, I I can understand that. But I think the the cavities and stuff though, it's not just about how good you are at cleaning your teeth. Like there's a lot of genetic mm-hmm. stuff like you said, you yours has a lot of grooves and and what and that probably like leads to certain things. I don't know. Um, you know, like my nephew has like silver caps on his teeth and he's six like he has baby teeth and they were and it's genetic like it's not you know a lot of that stuff is genetic so don't don't be too hard on yourself is what i'm saying (laughs) but still floss but still floss it's very important floss i'm gonna floss speaking of genetics and how people shouldn't be too hard on themselves i don't know if you know about the whole airy spears like talking hella shit about lizzo's body Incident. I don't even know who the hell Aries Spears is. Like, you that, know what? That's that your, your white up. privilege that you don't have to know about ridiculous people like this. So, like, <laughs> Aries Spears was on Mad TV way back in the day. So, like, okay. he still tours and is a quote unquote comedian, but like, most people I feel like do not know him. And if they do, they're like, oh, yeah, Mad TV, he does good impressions. But that was like, 2001 like okay his time has passed but he was doing an interview and it was really funny to me because like in the interview the interviewer didn't bait him and be like oh don't you think Lizzo's like fat and gross the interviewer was like who do you think is making good music like I think Lizzo makes really good music and Aries follows that you know nice accolade about Lizzo with With Lizzo, I can't get past the fact that she looks like the shit emoji, he said. She's got a very pretty face, but she keeps showing her body off. Come on, man. A woman built like a plate of mashed potatoes is in trouble. That is a direct quote. What the actual fuck? Yes. So not like we're here to like body shame people, but like Aries Spears looks unwell. Like, he's got, like, really dark circles under his eyes. Like, he's also a bigger person and a bigger body. Like, there's not a lot of room to, like, judge other women. And, like, saying that she looks like the shit emoji is absolutely insane. He he says all of this, and people lose their mind like they should. And then he goes, he goes to, um, oh, but, like, from a place of health. Did you Google him? Yeah, I just Googled him, and I'm like, I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Exactly. So then he turns it all around to be like, from a place of health, we should be concerned about Lizzo's health. Like, she's like probably close to diabetes. And I feel like that is a common thing that people will do about they bigger play people's that bodies. card. Yeah, they it's play, so it's stupid. Like, oh, I, I'm worried about your health. It's like, first, I don't know you. I say this and I don't know if it like, I feel like people who listen to us have like been on our Instagram. Like, I am a person in a bigger body. So like, I, I have these problems that I hear this shit all the time. But, like, I don't owe you health because I don't know you. You're a complete stranger. Also, unless you've got, like, x-ray tech eyes, like, you don't know what my health is. Like, you don't know my blood pressure. You don't know. Like, I feel like people look at people in fatter bodies and they just go, oh, you must be super lazy. Meanwhile, like, I know lots of skinny people who smoke, vape, drink nothing but soda. Like, health is not 
just represented by what your body mass looks like. And no. I think that people need to realize that and like stay out of other people's business. Like it's kind of insane to be like, oh, I'm just doing this to help you because of your health. But also what about someone's mental health? Like, how do you think it made Lizzo feel to like have someone say that she looks like the shit emoji? Like, what do you think that does for someone's mental health? Like, is that right. not important to you? Right. And and she's very strong would say like, oh, don't let this stuff bother you. It doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. But like, it's one thing to say that and to promote that and to try and like live that and maybe manifest it. But mm -hmm. I don't know if it were me anyway. I would have that itching at the back of my head all the time. Like, oh, Constantly. oh, oh, OK, this is yeah. something my existence is wrong. Mm -hmm. And and that is not that's not okay in any capacity. Oh my God. Yeah. Like what? Just, but I just like, like I said, the assumption that because someone's in a larger body, they, oh, they're going to get diabetes or they have diabetes is mm -hmm. ridiculous in and of itself. But I'm looking at this guy, like I just Googled him. Cause like I said, I didn't know. And like it, people could theoretically say the same thing about him. It's, it's exactly. Him. So and he's he makes like he does like a follow up video because like he was so mad that people were like, you're also fat and also no one wants to sleep with you and you're not funny. And he made like a follow up video like being mad about that. And he's like, yeah, I'm fat because I don't I eat a lot and I don't work out. And it's like, OK, Liz is a vegan and can dance for hours on stage while playing a flute. Like, are you crazy? <laughs> like, that's it. Like, she is so like, fit. Yeah. And it just is insane to me that he had the room to even speak on it and then double down on it. Like, mm. it's just like, why men? Like the audacity to be like, yeah, I don't exercise and I'm fat, but also that woman's going to get diabetes. It's like, stay so much in your lane. Yeah. Please worry about your blood pressure. Like, what are you even talking about? I have this Ugh. theory that there's some thinner people, not all thinner people, but a lot of, a lot of thin people who are kind of jealous of bigger people because like you see me, I live my life. I'm happy. I got married yep. and I saw, I noticed it a lot when I got married and when we got engaged, um, there'd be a lot of thinner people who spend their time in the gym. They have like these awesome bodies and they work on themselves so hard so that they can find a partner so that they can be happy because like they've been told their whole life. Society tells you like, you need to be, to be happy. You need to be in a thinner body. And when you see someone who's living outside of those norms in a larger body and getting the things that you want, that you do not have, that makes some skinny people very angry. Oh my and it's God. like, I need to constantly punch down on this person because like, I don't want to go to the gym every day, but I do so that I can look like this and achieve my goals. But like this fat person did nothing and is engaged. And I definitely saw a lot of that when what? I got engaged. Like no one said anything to me specifically, but like there were definitely like judgment stares. and like, oh, you're engaged? What? Yeah, I'm engaged. Oh, oh my God. Congratulations. Like, you know, just like the eyeballs linger just a little bit too long at like my fat hand with like a ring on it. Like, yeah, like I didn't have to be in the gym for, and like if you, if that's, I don't believe that going to the gym is specifically for losing weight. Like there are reasons sure. to go to the gym. Just moving your body sometimes feels really good and like mental health reasons to go to the gym. But there are definitely people who spend hours, hours, hours so they never have to look like me. And when they see somebody like me just like having my, like living my best life and like unbothered by the fact that like I'm a fat person, it 
it grinds their gears. It grinds their gears so much. And I don't, I don't know why. Hysterical, but... Why do people have to waste their time thinking about that? That's the thing that's getting me. Like, it yeah. doesn't affect your life. It does. Ooh. Like, you affect your life, right? Yeah. Like, whoever you are, what you do, how you behave, how you put yourself mm-hmm. out in the world, that's what's going to affect your happiness, not yeah. someone else's body or what they do with that body. Like, what the? F- mm. It's very odd. It's maddening, but I like Lizzo did a, she had an acceptance speech at the VMAs um, where she quotes like Beyonce and she's like, your best revenge is your paper. Like there's no reason to talk to or about Aerie Spears for Lizzo. Like, cause there, there'll be a new Aerie Spears next week because someone always has something to say about her body. So she, why spend the time, right? you know, doing a rebuttal for every asshole who has something to say about your body? There's no so, point. Like, just literally live your best life, which she is. I'm mm-hmm. going to see her in October, and it's going to be awesome. She's going to dance all over that stage with a flute. Things that I couldn't do. Not yeah. at all. Like, no, I've seen her before sure. live before. Me either. <laughs> she's, she's, like, insane. Like, in heels. Every, the like, way she, yeah, the, the endurance that she has just mm-hmm. for anyone. I'm like, yeah, playing the flute while dancing in heels. Like, I would be on the floor with two broken ankles in a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. Absolutely. So I'm going to see Lizzo in October, but October's super busy. Like, we're going to Comic-Con, too. Yeah, I'm I'm doing a little more than going to Comic-Con. I got news for everybody. Oh. Woohoo! I submitted a panel application to New York Comic-Con, and it was accepted. So I am... I am going to be presenting along with four uh, other college professors. We're going to be doing a panel called Pop Culture, Fandom, and Comics in the College Classroom. Because I'm so excited that it was accepted. Although there was a bit of confusion, and I'll get into that in a minute. But um, basically, my idea is that every year I go to Comic-Con on Thursday, and I try to attend as many educator panels as I can. Mm. And they're so often geared to K through 12 teachers. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think it's great. Introduce them to this world early on. But I wanted to, I want more of how we do that at the college level, right? And, And how that works into things. And so I got a bunch of people together and they all said yes. And then one of those people was, I don't know if you saw this on social media at all, but uh, mm-hmm. there's a guy in Texas who is a professor who is teaching a class on Harry Styles. It's called. Oh, yes, I did see this. Yeah. Yes. Harry Styles and the Cult of Celebrity. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's not a class about like, how much do you know about Harry Styles? It's about yeah. like, you know. His how, right. Exactly. Yeah. And this professor and I, he we took a class together in grad school. And so we're on like Twitter and and stuff together. And so I reached out to him and I'm like, hey, you want to be on this panel with me? I was like, I know if I is like the Harry Styles thing. Um, And he said yes, which was awesome. And then I had um, a friend who taught a class on Supernatural and one who's a sociologist. So we got a bunch of people together. We actually had too many people for the panel. Oh, wow. Um. Yeah, because they only give out so many passes. And also, you only have an hour. So if you want to give people enough time to talk... You, you can't have, like, nine people. Yeah. Right. So I we were... If everybody had said yes and could attend, it was eight people. 
And I was like, well, I'll step out and just moderate. That's fine. That'll knock it down one and so on. Sent the application in, was supposed to hear back at a certain date, hadn't heard back, reached out like a couple of days later, I got an email saying like, oh, thank you for applying. Unfortunately, there's so many panels. We didn't have room for yours. I was like, oh, that sucks. So I reached out to all my panelists and said, hey, sorry, y'all. They said no. And a week later, I got an email saying, congratulations on your acceptance to New York Comic Con in this panel. And I was like, what the? Yeah, what? So I said, I'm confirming because I, I'm going to take the positive email, not the negative one. But could you please confirm that like I've received yeah. both of these emails. I don't want to ask my panelists to come from across the country. Yeah. And have there not actually be a panel. So they did get back to me and confirm. And I reached out to all my panelists. But unfortunately, because I had said no, or they had said no before, my panelists made other plans, you know. Um, that quickly? Well, it was it was a little over a week, I guess, maybe a week. It was somewhere around I, a week. And, I guess and people are busier than I am. <laughs> well, the thing is, one of them, it was jury duty, so she couldn't help it. Mm-hmm. If it had oh. been on the Saturday or Sunday, she could have made it. The other one is the guy doing the Harry Styles class. And mm-hmm. he had been waiting to hear back about this panel before reaching out to someone to come to one of his classes. And he had given that person like so many dates and like, which pick one of these dates. And they got back to him and said the date that is the day of the panel. And they're like from NPR and stuff. So it's like a big deal to get them to campus. Mm-hmm. So, um, he he was like, well, because they picked this date like that I offered them, I can't go back on it now. And yeah, those two couldn't make it, which means that we have a panel of five. That's still really good. I feel that's kind of your perfect number. Yeah, yeah. Because actually there was one other person who said they couldn't make it because Thursdays they have a commitment. And mm-hmm. and that's the thing is like when they all said yes, it was like, well, we don't know which day it's going to be. So we do have to wait that out. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's on Thursday, October 6th in room 408. It's in the new building or the new Ooh. attachment on the mm. fourth floor. So um, yeah, it's 1.30 to 2.30 on that Thursday. I'm very excited. If anybody who's listening is around and attending Comic-Con, I don't know if there are still Thursday tickets available. It is the cheapest day for tickets, but mm-hmm. I encourage people to come out and sit in the audience for us please (laughs) show us some love october is definitely going to be a busy month but i think um we should probably get into our content for september so who are we talking about this episode well this week we're going to be discussing the iconic singer songwriter actress and dancer janet jackson so we're going to cover her early career, the steps she took to establish control and an independent career the struggles she faced and the scandals she has endured Then we'll dig into some of the truths behind her experiences, including her relationships with family members, being a Jackson, and dealing with the tabloids, and the realities of that infamous Super Bowl performance. Finally, we'll wrap it all up with Jackson's legacy, the award she has received, the humanitarian works she's been involved in, and the female empowerment she encourages. Just a couple of trigger warnings, although we won't be going into great detail on these topics, they will be mentioned. There's family violence, death, and uh, child molestation. (laughs) 
Janet Demita Joe Jackson was born May 16th in 1966 in Gary, Indiana. She was born into a pretty big family, like in every sense of the word. She mm-hmm. was the youngest of 10 kids. Her mother, Catherine Jackson, had a pattern. So it would be girl, three boys, girl, three boys, girl. Sadly, one of the babies didn't make it and died just hours after being born. Catherine and Joe Jackson both had musical backgrounds. Catherine played the piano and sang while Joe played guitar in a band. Because of all the children they had, their focus was working to provide. Catherine worked at Sears and Joe worked at the steel plant. So Joe was incredibly strict and the town they lived in was really rough. It was once known as the murder capital of America. Like, have you heard about Gary, Indiana, the murder capital? Like, yeah. I feel like a place named Gary should be like really... <laughs> Really kind and safe. Like you hear like channeling some parks and rec there. <laughs> like Gary yeah, Jerry. Yeah, Gary. You can leave your doors unlocked in Gary, Indiana, but like apparently yeah, if you, you want to be murdered, apparently. <laughs> there was drugs and violence everywhere. So the family stayed together through very strict discipline and religion. So they were Jehovah's Witness. They also don't celebrate holidays or birthdays or do blood transfusions, which is not super important for this, but like very interesting. Anywho, the family also stayed together by performing songs and dances around the house. Their mother encouraged this bonding activity and took note that the kids were really good at it. So Joe ran with this, seeing talent as a way out of Gary, Indiana, and the struggle that they were dealing with from day to day. Joe managed to get an audition for the boys at Motown Records with the founder, Barry Gordy. Uh, Just a quick note about Motown, because depending on your age, uh, you might not know how huge this was, right? Motown was one of the first, and for a long time only, African-American-owned labels that achieved crossover success. I mean, Stevie Wonder, Diana Ross, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Marvin Gaye, the, just a few of the highly successful acts that came out of Motown. And this was no small feat, you know, to do to, like, racism and stuff. You know. Radio and concert, yeah, you know, just, you know, like racism. racism. Jesus. Um, <laughs> Radio and concert venues were still not 100% comfortable with, like, letting Black artists come in and play their music. Barry worked really hard to get them in the door and paid. So, like, I'm all about education via film. So if you want to know more about Motown, you should definitely check out, there's a documentary called Hitsville, The Making Mm -hmm. of Motown. And that's directed by Ben and Gabe Turner or a very fictionalized movie, uh, Dreamgirls, got Beyonce and Jennifer Hudson. But, like, why not both? Why not both? Back to the Jacksons. Barry loves them, and the Jackson 5 is born. It consisted of Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, Marlon, and Michael. They were all managed by their father, Joe. After about two years of recording and touring and building a fan base, the boys hit it big with the single, I Want You Back. The record sold two million copies in six weeks. And with that, the Jacksons are off to California. They're out of Gary, Indiana. They're on their way to... (laughs) They're on their way to Encino. Uh, California becomes their home base, but the kids are always performing and traveling. Janet's first performance was with her brother Randy at the MGM Casino. In the self-titled documentary directed by Benjamin Hirsch, Jackson speaks of being nervous, but only for her first performance and says she hasn't felt that feeling again on stage. Very interesting. Right? Like she just kind of had to get her feet wet and then was never nervous again. Like I feel like it, for certain audiences, like you had to be somewhat nervous, but oh, and and what does that mean, nervous? Like light butterflies, mm. or like oh my gosh, I'm like afraid to go on stage, right? You know, like, so she might have yeah. had like light 
excitement butterflies or something. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I can't speak for her. <laughs> I would I would literally vomit. Like, I think about that. Remember we went to go see, um, and this is why we drink, and you were telling me that one of them has, like, really bad stage fright. I was like, I would need a vomit bucket before doing any kind of, like, live thing because I would I would absolutely need to throw up. You know who wasn't nervous? The Jacksons. So this was the start of the TV show, The Jacksons. It was a variety show where the family put on skits. They were singing, they were dancing. They were doing really cool things. Yeah. So the show was also like a first of its kind because it was the first time that a whole cast of siblings appeared on TV. And it was also the first time that they were a whole cast of just Black people, African-American people on TV, which sounds insane because the show ran from like 1967 to 1977. And it's like, we didn't have a whole cast of Black people on TV before then. Okay. All right. Yeah, Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. So it only had 12 episodes, but it did run for that whole time. And this is where Janet began to develop her acting skills and her comedic timing. She was surrounded by some of the best comedic actors of the time. There was Betty White, Linda Carter, and Dom DeLuise. They were all guests at some point on the show. With the success of the variety show came the call to audition for another popular TV show at the time, Good Times. Janet auditioned and was cast to play the role of Penny, an abused child. The role called for a lot of emotions. And while Janet was up to the task, she really didn't want the role. She had other plans. Like, she was 10, and she just wanted to do Girl Scouts in summer camp. But the choice was not hers to make. As we mentioned earlier, her father, Joe Jackson, was incredibly strict. And many of Janet's siblings have actually come forward to discuss his abuse. Janet, however, has always spoken fondly of her father, saying that while she didn't have the same father experience her friends did, she owes everything to him. For her, Joe was more of a boss than a father. So we need to remember that Janet was the youngest and a girl, so her relationship with her father was probably different. She doesn't describe her father as abusive. Janet insists anything done was out of love. So there's a quote from her. Discipline without love is tyranny. Tyrants, they were not. They just wanted us to be the best that we could possibly be. Joe didn't take Janet's wishes seriously, and she ended up on good times. And from there, she went on to do different acting roles. She was in shows like A New Kind of Family and Different Strokes. Things changed a lot for the Jackson family in the 1980s. Joe was no longer managing the Jackson Five, which gave him free time to work with other artists. Janet was finishing school and looking forward to college. She was interested in attending Pepperdine University and studying business law to learn more about the music industry. So Joe Jackson was looking for someone to manage. And much like with acting, Janet really wasn't given a choice. Her father said she was going to make an album, so she did. And Janet signed to you. Yeah, right. This yeah. is like, yeah. Like, hey, I, mean, I want to go to college. Mm, I think you're going to record an album instead. But, but like, school, maybe? No, no, record an album. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting because it does sort of give you that, like, is he just living vicariously through his children in this, like, trying to push them into performance industry or, is it still related to that fear and like anxiety that he maybe had living in Indiana when he's like, we just need something to get us out. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know yeah. his backstory, but it seems complicated. Yeah. So I think like, why not both? You know, I definitely think he had musical aspirations that didn't get, you know, completely fulfilled because, you know, he had all these kids and like, he couldn't, you know, be in the band like he wanted to anymore, but he could still be part of this musical world through his children. I kind of, so like, it's not the same, but kind of the same. Like, I don't know if you know anything about um, Selena. 
Her dad was Mm -hmm. in, like, a musical group. And, like, when his group ended because he had kids and needed to, like, work, when he found out, like, his kids had musical abilities, like, he pushed them really hard, too. Definitely not saying that Selena's father was anything like Joe Jackson. But, I mean, like, the drive of, like, my dream maybe didn't come true, but it can come true for you. Right. And I think the difference between, like, Selena and Janet Jackson was that maybe, like, Selena actually wanted to pursue music more than Janet did. It seems that way. It, it does just seem from, that way. From this information, yeah. Yeah. So Janet was signed to A&M Records, and her first album was titled Janet Jackson. It was released September 21st, 1982. When asked about this time, Janet speaks with some sadness over a missed opportunity. She says, I would have liked to experience staying at a dorm, being around other kids, but I was very, very naive and very shy, not worldly at all. This could have been a chance for her to break out and find herself in a mm-hmm. worldview outside of her family, but it didn't work out yeah. that way. No, instead, she started a music career that she wasn't allowed to have any input on. The first album was written for her. She just did the material and left the studio. The first album wasn't successful at all, you know, because she had no real input on it. But it was her fault that it wasn't successful. You oh, know, was it? Everything. Yeah, everything's the women's well, fault. You know, she should have known better. Yeah. For an album that she didn't want to make, and she didn't even get to pick the cover art, she took the brunt of the backlash and the bad press for its failure. Yeah, I mean, the front person always does. They don't think about, like, what is behind the creation of that album and why Mm -hmm. it might not have been so successful. I mean, she didn't even want to do it, for crying out loud. I mean, anyway. Right? Like, that feels like a... I wasn't even supposed to be here today vibes. Like, (laughs) oh, cool. This album came out and nobody likes it. Defend it. And it's like, I can't defend it. I didn't even want to do it. Like, I just showed up today and was told to do this thing. Nobody likes it. Feel bad about it. Like, you think, I mean. Yeah, it seems like it might be a little bit of uh, eerie foreshadowing in terms of her Mm -hmm. taking responsibility for things that don't go according to society's plans. Oh. Just think it like oh, I don't spoiler know. alerts. Anyway. <laughs> even though Janet wasn't doing what she wanted to be doing, she still wanted to be good at it, right? It, that sort of like reminds me of my dad being like, do a job, big or small, do it right, or not at all. Yeah. Ooh. Yep. I would have yep. ran away from home. My dad said that. <laughs> Listen, it is Did definitely... he say it in that sing song, sing songy voice? Not exactly, but (laughs) but it was like, do a job, big or small, do it right or not at all. It was, you know, it does rhyme, so. I get, I mean, I get. Oh, no, listen, it's not, it's one of those things that like, I can't get it out of my brain and and that for better or for worse, and probably both, uh, has stuck with me over the years, yeah get the merit of it but also but also cut yourself sometimes. some slack <laughs> yeah like i hate being here i don't know if being here like being good at my job that i hate would make me feel any better you know like sometimes mm-hmm. you need to half-ass it you can half-ass things it's fine <laughs> tell your dad i said so. oh okay yep 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 <laughs> but Janet had a really a really strong work ethic and she had the drive to be successful. She knew that she had to take control over her life and get out from under her father's thumb. So like all those messages that he had put on her over the years, they were with her, but she wanted to do it on her own terms, it seemed. Her way of gaining this independence was to get married. Okay, so like 
when I thought about this, I was like, how do you gain independence by like basically transferring ownership? And like I say that because it was the 80s, right? But dealing with someone like her father, this kind of made sense. Like in his eyes, she was only adult when she had her own family or could be like, quote unquote, taken care of by someone else. Like she wouldn't become a woman in his eyes until she had her own household. Right. So I, I am going to speak to that for a little bit um, because without getting into too many details, my father and I had a falling out around the time I was in college. And it was very much that sort of relationship where it was almost like that break mm-hmm. was what transitioned our relationship into a relationship between two adults instead of a relationship between a child and a parent. And not to mm-hmm. say that he still isn't a parent figure and a father figure and all of that, but that after we came back to one another we could speak to each other as adults. And um, so sometimes it does take like that extreme action. It's not always the best move, but mm-hmm. it, it does work. And it seems like for her, this was the only path that she saw at that time is like, okay, the only way to get out from like, you know, she couldn't go away to college. So she didn't have yeah. that escape. She, the idea of like living on your own as a single woman probably very looked down upon right um that's a cultural thing that's a generational thing etc so this was her her way out and it's like well i can't live here with my husband so i'm going to now be independent like i'm an adult now like this is the marker yeah yeah and you know sometimes people view marriage as an escape from problems with their parents and Mm -hmm. this seems to be the case here Janet was definitely looking for a fresh start, and she found that in James DeBarge in 1984. So James and Janet had been friends since childhood. He's also a member of another singing family group. This one was called DeBarge. So they sang that song, Rhythm of the Night. Not that one that's like, it is the rhythm of the night. Not that one, but it's the one that goes like, da-da-da-da, rhythm of the night, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-
Janet tried to help James, but he wasn't interested in changing, and the marriage was annulled a little over a year later in 1985. In the documentary, she expresses regret and sadness about not being able to help the man that she loved. But again, 18. They're children. Like, you don't have Mm -hmm. those tools. Not at all. And I I mean, I don't even think she had the tools to say, I need to... Well, I guess she had the tools to say that I need to leave this because she annulled it. But to leave it and be okay with leaving it, like, she's still... Like, in that documentary, like, she's still, like, very emotional and she starts crying. Like, so there's still part of her like feels really guilty for like not being able to like save this man. But like you said, she's 18. Like she wasn't going to save anyone. Right. Not someone who didn't want to be saved at all. You know? Mm-hmm. Jenna picked up the pieces and continued with fame. The whole time she's still looking for her own identity, identity outside of her family, outside of her now ex-husband. Right. She's like, she was looking to take control of her life and her career. Janet took control, literally. She fired her father as her manager. She got new representation and started working with people who actually wanted to help her find her own vision. So She started working with music producers Jimmy J and Terry Lewis. They were in a group called Morse Day and the Time. If you've ever seen Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, have you ever seen that? No, maybe I don't know. I feel like I know Jay and Silent Bob well enough that Mm -hmm. I must have, but like I don't recall it in detail. I know. This is like my childhood. Um, So they make a cameo singing. There's a song that goes like, O-E-O-E-O, I think I want to know you, know you. It's very good. Um, But you should listen to them anyway. They worked with Prince a lot. Um, So this is the first time that Janet was making choices on her own. And she was also being asked what she wanted and how she wanted to be viewed. Yeah, right? From lighting to wardrobe, like, she got to call all the shots. And, like, Jimmy and Terry were like, yeah, what do you want? Do you like this? How about this? Sure. Yeah, it was like, here's the songs you're going to sing. Learn them. And now people were asking, like, what she wanted. Like, who she wanted to work with. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of those people was Paula Abdul. She actually met Paula Abdul, who was a dance choreographer for the Laker Girls, and hired her. The two formed a lifelong friendship, and Paula helped Janet build her confidence, not only in her dance moves, but in her body in general. And if you want to hear a little more about Paula Abdul, sign up for our Patreon, because she is our next little reputation. Exclusive content there on the Patreon. You could learn so much. So Janet's first single and video were also the title of the album, Control. The song was the message, a very clear one. Um, It opens up with the lyrics, this is a story about control, my control, control of what I say, control of what I do. And this time I'm going to do it my way. The lyrics continue to, when I was 17, I did what people told me, did what my father said and let my mother mold me. But that was long ago. I'm in control, never going to stop. See, and I read that I didn't sing that for you because I'm not going to try and sing Janet. I don't have those chops. Yeah, we can do Rhythm of the Night for like five seconds, but that's exactly. about it. <laughs> I Listen, I would never judge you for singing anyway because I am the worst. Listen, I know what happens when I try to do a British accent. I don't want to relive that. So like we're not That was sing not me. That was it. the listeners. <laughs> The listeners demanded that it stopped, so I'm not going <laughs> to open open the door to, like, me belting out a tune. 
Control debuted at number 84 on the Billboard 200 on March 8th, 1986, and at number 26 on the top R&B Black Albums on March 1st, 1986. After 20 weeks, it made it to number one on both of these charts, selling 250,000 copies in a single week. This was a record for an album by a female artist at that time. That's huge. Yeah, it's a big deal. So Eric Henderson of Slate Magazine credits the release of Control as the birth of Janet, the music video star, as six of the nine tracks were turned into popular videos that all but announced her as the queen of the production dance number. The album showed that Janet had a tough side that was not to be messed with. In an interview with Rolling Stone, she told the story of street harassment that became an inspiration. A couple of guys started stalking me on the street. They were emotionally abusive, sexually threatening. Instead of running to Jimmy or Terry for protection, I took a stand. I backed them down. That's how songs like Nasty and What Have You Done For Me Lately were born, out of a sense of self-defense. Control meant not only taking care of myself, but living in a much less protected world. And doing that meant growing a tough skin, getting an attitude. I love that so much. I feel like the next time someone says something terrible to me on the streets, I'm just going to start singing nasty in their direction until they leave. <laughs> like, that's going to be my self-defense. Just, like, throw Janet lyrics at them until they get confused and leave. I mean, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I'll, back I mean, I'll back you up. <laughs> as a dancer? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't, they would leave really fast if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is going on here? Escape. So at this time, Janet met Rene Elizondo Jr. He was a dancer, a songwriter, and a music video director. He helped to shape Janet's vision and show her different perspectives. The two fell in love, and after about six years of dating, Elizondo and Jackson got married in a private ceremony in 1991. Rene considered himself to be an extension of Janet. He understood her vision and tried to make sure that others did too. So he gives me real, like, Marty vibes. So, like, Marty from... Marty Ginsburg. Marty Ginsburg, um, RBG's husband. Not only were the two in love, but they were in love with creating with each other. Renee was able to push her and get more out of her creatively, but he also wanted the best for her at the end of the day. I feel like Marty was like that, too. It sounds like a real partnership in this regard. Mm -hmm. After a short promotional tour, Janet went back to the studio to record Rhythm Nation. This album was huge, like... I still think it's probably one of the hugest albums, like, in my mind. (laughs) It was filled with social commentary, and it was a sound that people hadn't heard before, which is, like, the best combination that you can have. Like, Mm -hmm. I love a song with social commentary, and I love a song that gives me something that I haven't heard a thousand times before. Yeah. Janet followed the release of this album with the Rhythm Nation World Tour in 1990. This was Jackson's debut concert tour. She was assisted by a team of 11 musicians, five backup singers, and six dancers. None of which were me. (laughs) (laughs) The tour was one of the first to be so big. It cost $2 million to produce. The tour became the most successful debut concert tour in history. Over 2 million people came to see her. Like, that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, like, super impressive. Like, two million people, like, came to see, like, a woman perform at the time. Like, a woman. I mean, yeah. (laughs) I don't even, like, (laughs) it's like I don't have words for it. Because it it is a lot, especially at this time. The tour set records for the time, right? It was the fastest to sell out of tickets, for example. One show in Japan's Tokyo Dome sold out in seven minutes. 
Like, and this is pre-internet. Yes. So that's what I'm thinking. I was like, okay, like right now, like I tried to, there's a place that does like these burritos and like they do like pop-ups and tickets sell out in like minutes now. But like that's via Instagram. You had to like call a number before to like get a ticket or you had to like go stand in line. Like you couldn't just like go on AOL, dial up and get tickets at this time even. So like you had to go wait in line or call someone. So for it to sell out in seven minutes is insane. Yeah, I, I'm actually wondering like how much of it was in person. Yeah, right. Like, do they just count people and they're like, okay, how many are you getting? Because like, and it that's took them like, seven minutes to count them and they're like, nope, sold out. Yep. <laughs> you don't have to wait in line anymore. You're not getting a ticket. Goodbye. It's like going to see that's Shakespeare crazy. in the park in the morning. <laughs> like you got to wait for three hours in the morning to get your free Shakespeare in the park tickets. And mm. then once they're full, that's- they're full. <laughs> That is probably why I've never been. I'm I'm not one to wait on lines for things. I'm, yeah, I did it well, when I, I was did. younger. When I was younger, I did. I used to camp out for stuff, but now I'm like, ugh, that sounds terrible. I, the last time I did it, I just brought a book and and a beach towel, and I sat on the towel in the line and read my book. But I'm also was, not one for sitting on the ground anywhere. Hence the beach towel. Still the ground. Still the ground. <laughs> Have we talked about this on here? I don't think we have. How so, you don't, I don't even know how it's the white started. people rules. <laughs> it's not white people rules, but I just like I started to notice a trend that white people would sit literally anywhere in New York City, like on the ground, in like the subway. So I started documenting it and I would send it to Rebecca to be like, here's another one of your brethren sitting <laughs> on the ground. It's always something so gross, and I don't understand. And I've never seen a black person do it. So I was like, I think it's just white people. I think you sent me a black guy doing it once. And I was yeah. like, okay, <laughs> fair. Yes, literally in the over a decade of our friendship, I have found one person <laughs> doing this. <laughs> I just, you don't get gross and dirty, especially in New York. Like, I don't even wear my shoes beyond my front door. Like, imagine sitting on the ground. Anyway, if you see people sitting on the ground, not with a towel. Your towel, I was giving you a bit of... of like gruff there. The towel is is fine. But if you see people sitting bare, nothing between them, but like their jeans or skirt on the ground, send us a picture. <laughs> no matter the race, send us a picture. We'll discuss people sitting in weird places later. But okay. for now, let's talk about Janet and how rich she is. Because her album had seven top five singles on it. She got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which people do sit on. And that's kind of gross, too. But it's take a picture. Oh, oh, you can sit on the ground. You know, it's funny because I've sat on the ground and then taken a picture and sent it to you of me sitting on the ground. <laughs> like at the, I think it was at Port Authority bus terminal. <laughs> I just like, oh, that's the worst place. <laughs> they haven't cleaned that since 1925. Like, why would you sit there? <laughs> You're touching dust from like. Civil War dust. Get out of here. Don't sit Port there. Authority in the Civil War. <laughs> Listen. They were taking those buses down to fight the war. How do you think what? they got there? <laughs> <laughs> they hopped one of those horrible Greyhound buses to get down there to the war. NJ Transit. Boo. Ridiculous. Ugh, anyway. Okay. <clears throat> so Janet, she's doing her thing. Her album had seven top five singles. She got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. 
And she even left her small label to sign with Virgin Records. So this deal was rumored to be about 40 to $50 million. This had her become the highest paid female in the music industry. She was free financially and had made a name for herself beyond her family. You know, obviously her family was played a role in how she got yeah. into the industry, but she kept herself there on her own, right? Mm-hmm. Like this was now that her chance to see what else she could do. So she wanted to rediscover the world of acting. And, you know, like on her second trip into the music industry, this time going into the film industry was on her own terms. In 1993, Janet made her film debut in a movie called Poetic Justice. The film was directed, written, and produced by John Singleton. He had just found success with the movie Boys in the Hood. This film was a romantic drama co-starring Tupac Shakur, yes, the rapper Tupac Shakur, and Regina King, yes, the goddess Regina King. Yes. So Janet's character is a poet who is mourning the loss of her boyfriend and reluctantly goes on this life-changing road trip with King and Shakur. It's pretty good. I haven't seen it in years, but it was the reason why I got box braids for the first time. All right. She's got box braids in that film. And I was like, I want the poetic justice braids. Well, the film received mixed reviews. Her performance was never in question. She was great and clearly made a good choice in being in this film. Another solid choice was singing the lead ballad for the film. Her song, Again, which was written for the film, received a Golden Globe and a Academy Award nomination for Best Original Song. That song was featured on Jackson's fifth album, the self-titled album Janet, also released in 1993. The record was a huge success and opened at number one on the Billboard 200 charts. The album was a game changer. It showed the world a much sexier, but also softer Janet. She also took charge when it came to writing most of the album, giving it a sense of rawness, something new for her. So here's a review from Rolling Stones magazine about the album. As princess of America's Black royal family, everything Janet Jackson does is important. Whether proclaiming herself in charge of her life as she did on Control in 1986, or commander-in-chief of a Rhythm Nation dancing to fight society's problems, Rhythm Nation 1814 from 1989, she is influential. And when she announces her sexual maturity, as she does on her new album, Janet, it is a cultural moment. And this album wasn't about selling sex. It was about showing the world that Janet had matured and that being a sexual person could be done for oneself. So yeah, I didn't know how to say this because I felt like it sounded really clunky, but like I wanted to say that you can like be sexy for yourself and not for other people. Like Yeah, but yet she's also using that as a way to express her art, right? She's doing yeah. it for herself mm-hmm. and expressing it out to the world. So we kind of get the benefits of seeing her go through this but she's not doing it for us she's doing it for her. yeah yeah I like that which I is like how that. it should be done like people can reap the benefits but you should do things for yourself yeah i mean these videos are sexier and had romantic elements but what would solidify her as a sex symbol was appearing topless on the cover of rolling stone i mean not like actually topless there wasn't like nipples or whatever her breast <laughs> We're not there yet. (laughs) Her breasts were actually covered by her husband, Renee Elizondo Jr.'s hands. And I think it was this cover that really cemented Janet on the map, like in terms of people knowing, people everywhere knowing who she was. Yeah. It's a super iconic photo. Like we'll share it on the drive. Like it's, 
you'll know it like instantly. Like I, I think it got parodied a bunch of like they Mad Magazine did like a cover copy mm. of the cover. Like oh, with their creepy little with their creepy little child cartoon. Did they do it with him? yeah the the buck teeth kid with yeah. like the red hair or whatever? Yeah, like yeah. that. Janet's family didn't like the cover. I mean, remember they were pretty religious, and this mm-hmm. was not okay with them. Janet said. I thought that was very bold of me, to be quite honest, to unleash that within my family. With everybody else, it was probably no big issue. But I'm talking about my family because that's not how we were brought up. You could say that 1993 was the best and the worst year for Janet. She was very much at the top of her career, but allegations started to come into light about her brother, Michael. She found herself caught up in them as well. Michael Jackson was accused of child molestation, though he was never charged. The family and Janet stood by him and tried to reduce the backlash. This was still a firestorm and Janet's career was being affected. She was about to sign a major deal with Coca-Cola and they pulled out based on the allegations. Janet herself called it being guilty by association. She had spent a lot of time trying to get out from underneath her family name, only to be dragged back in and having to defend herself. In her documentary, she speaks of doing the song Scream to support her brother. Scream is a song 100% directed at the tabloid media that had fueled rumors and fears about her family for years. The song did well, and the music video was one of the most expensive videos made at the time. Janet's dealing with all this family stress all around. Outside of her brother's problems, it became really clear to her that her husband, Renee, was behaving differently. He was having a problem with prescription painkillers, and it was starting to affect his personality and their relationship. Remember we said that Renee was all about his vision for Janet and making sure that people saw her in her best light. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine that, but like fueled by anxiety and mania. He starts telling Janet, like, what to do and what to wear and how she looks in public, like, how to look her best in public so people would respect her. Like, it became so bad that, like, she was getting really self-conscious and it was hard to leave the house and do regular things. Like, go to the movies. You had to be, like, 100% dressed up and, like, camera ready. Like, they weren't just allowed to be. This is this is when he stops being, like, uh, Marty Ginsburg. <laughs> this is exactly when he stops being, like, Marty Ginsburg, Yeah. Jackson began suffering from severe depression, body image issues, and anxiety, leading her to do two things. File for divorce and create her sixth album. The Velvet Rope was released in October of 1997. However, she wouldn't be divorced officially until 2000 after a very stressful battle over assets. This album, The Velvet Rope, you know, the New York Times actually called it her most daring, elaborate, and accomplished album. So that's pretty that's pretty high praise yeah the album was praised for being so honest she's going through this really tough divorce from someone who she loved really deeply and she channels that there's one song um i get lonely it's unapologetically sad and it's so relatable you should go listen to it oh also that reminds me i started a playlist okay for big reputations on spotify mostly because of this like i just during research i just kept stopping to listen to janet jackson and i was like we should make a playlist so i did it mostly only has janet jackson on it right now but like stay tuned i'll link that somewhere yeah Ooh, definitely put in link tree yes, yes. yeah we'll put other people that we cover and such i love that the velvet rope we're gonna put that we're gonna put some songs from that on the playlist but the album went really really hard It covers topics like homosexuality, depression, self-love, and this led Janet to obtain another label, Gay Icon. All right. All right. For the next few years, Janet's doing it all. She's making music, making films, working on her body image, and her mental health. She started dating music producer and rapper Jermaine Dupri in 2002. 
this point, her career is going really well, and she seems really happy and relaxed. She's on tour for her seventh album when she's chosen by the National Football League and MTV to perform at Super Bowl 38 during the halftime show in February 2004. It was to feature Janet Jackson, P. Diddy, Nelly, Kid Rock, and Jessica Simpson. Justin Timberlake was supposed to be a surprise. Well, Janet and her team actually started choreographing and prepping from the moment that she was asked to perform. Her people asked Justin Timberlake to perform with her. Justin and Janet were, you know, friends. I'm going to, like, air quote that, right? His band, NSYNC, had opened for her on the Velvet Rope Tour in October of 1998. Janet herself was super excited to perform. She did snippets of All For You, Rhythm Nation, and The Knowledge. Timberlake then joined her on stage to perform his song, Rock Your Body. And as Timberlake sang the lyric, I'm going to have you naked by the end of this song, he tore open her costume, exposing her right breast to 140 million viewers and setting the world on fucking fire. Yep. Probably the most talked about Super Bowl thing, like, ever. Yeah, absolutely. In the documentary done by the New York Times, Malfunction, the dressing down of Janet Jackson, they take a deeper look at what happened right at the end of the performance. Some say that Janet looked shocked and ran off the stage crying, and others say that she fled and never took responsibility. Hard eye roll at those second people. It's a really good watch. It's on Hulu. Um, People have different interpretations of what happened that night. Um, Justin, however, stayed. And he did a bunch of interviews saying how much fun he had he later changed his tune and backed away from the issue over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, just like, don't take any real responsibility. I, it wasn't me. But mm. Also, like, I think that really shows that he didn't understand the impact that that had or would have, right? Like, that's because the... Because... He's a man? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they, the impact didn't hit him as hard as it hit Janet. Mm-hmm. People were losing their minds, right? And this whole issue was referred to as nipplegate. Everything's something gate. Like, be creative. Well, because people. of, you know, yeah. But yeah, no gate, one. Sure, but like, no on, one. Can we come up with something new now? Come on. No. No. Some man who thought he was so funny was like, hey, it's like the thing that happened in Washington. Let's call everything gate. Cool. Maybe we'll stop doing that because, like, who even knows? Like, young kids don't know what Watergate is. Like, I barely knew what Watergate was. <laughs> I yeah, I'm kind of curious about that. I kind of want to ask people like when you hear something gate, like yeah. do you know where that comes from, right? Like do they right? understand the reference? They're probably just like is, is there a gate that has nipples on it? Yeah, they're like oh, it's, it's, it's about gatekeeping, like or something yeah, like that, you know. Who yeah. knows? I'm very curious. Ask your kids, listeners. Ask, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, thousands of churches and organizations called in and wrote complaints to CBS saying that the performance was offensive and too crude for family TV. There were so many complaints that the FCC actually had to open an investigation. Janet issued an apology after the performance saying that the incident was an accident and unintended, and Justin called it a wardrobe malfunction. So his plan was to only pull away the bustier part and leave the red lacy bra intact. That's oh, not what happened. Was that the plan? Okay. That was the plan. But I don't know if he just had Hulk hands that day or what, but he ripped the whole thing off. The The New York Times uh, documentary shows it in its entirety. And I had forgotten. It's so quick, but it is a whole boob that pops out. Like, imagine, like, the front of your bra getting ripped off. Like, 
it just like boop, there's a boob like it just pops out but it's very very quick so like but also it's a boob like get over it it's a fucking boob no 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 <laughs> not allowed people cannot they can't unless, see i mean i was about to say unless there's a baby on it people get mad but we no, already covered get that mad people get mad about that yeah so the FCC heavily fined all the companies involved and continued an investigation for about eight years. The case made its way all the way up to the Supreme Court before it was ultimately thrown out. The Supreme Court? Like, what? Yeah, like they wanted, there were fines. Then CBS didn't want to pay it. And they were like, Janet Jackson should pay this. So it just went back and forth Wait, and back and Janet forth. Janet Jackson should pay this? That was their it take? It was her boob. It was her boob. And she did this. So, yeah. She had a boob. She needs to pay she all the boob and she not the person everyone. who not the person who exposed that boob yeah. on television. Like it wasn't. Oh, Justin Timberlake should pay this. It was Janet Jackson mm-hmm. should pay this. She should pay the price for having the boob and allowing someone to do that to her. Yeah, it's called the pink tax. We already pay that. <laughs> <laughs> the FCC did her charge her with the most extreme pink tax. That's really funny, actually. <laughs> Oh, anyway, in the immediate backlash, Janet was disinvited from the Grammys a few weeks later. Justin, however, was not. He attended and won two awards, and he used his acceptance speech to apologize for the incident again. So I feel like he shouldn't have gone in solidarity. I think it's really tacky that he did. Yeah. But he was a a new artist, quote unquote, like this was his first solo going to the Grammys and he was nominated for things. So I could kind of see how he would be torn, but I feel like if he was a real man, a real man or a feminist, he would have been like, I'm going to stay home because like what's happening to Janet is not cool. The, the Grammys actually said that Jackson had been invited, but uh, with the stipulation that she needed to give yet another public apology, this would be her third public apology. Yeah. And again, just for literally having a boob mm-hmm. like it was an accident and she was like hey it was an accident i'm sorry and then she did it again and they're like hey we just need like one more time and it's like okay but like how many times are you gonna make her apologize for this like who who knew if it would have just been the third time like she might have spent the rest and then she really did spend the rest of her career apologizing for it and the backlash from this continued as the ceo of viacom ordered that janet jackson's singles and music videos be blacklisted This man read everything. So that was CBS, MTV, VH1, and a radio station group. And of course, this is a big deal because at the time, MTV and VH1 still played music videos. Yeah. It was like where you got it. So like when you cut off the pipeline from an artist to the fans, like what happens? Their career can flatline. There was no TikTok. There was no YouTube. Music television was the platform. Right. And and I think funny that you should say that, though, because one of the co-founders of YouTube actually credits this Super Bowl incident as motivation for creating a site to share videos, which is kind of gross. But also, you know, hey, without this, I guess we wouldn't have had YouTube. So I don't know if it's gross or if it's like it was a sensational thing that happened. And people who I remember I was watching the Super Bowl, so I saw it live. And if you weren't there, you went to the bathroom and everyone was talking about it and you had no way to see it, you were, like, out of the loop completely. Like, you're like, what's Watergate? You know? Like, you yeah. have no clue. So I get, like, being yeah. like, we need to create something to, like, share share this so people know what it looks like. I guess I just, 
in my mind, I'm being extra cynical about the motivation behind sharing it. It's like, ooh, let's share it so everybody can see her boob or, yeah. you know, let's share it so that we can understand what happened kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the founder of her record label, Virgin, Richard Branson, who had made so much money off of her success. So much. Didn't defend her either. Shocker. Shocker. She was left in the cold by those who had made money off of her hard work. And that's something we see time and time again. Mm-hmm. So what does Janet do? What she does best. Recover and pivot. In 2005, she released another album that I only learned about doing this research. But I guess that was the Blacklist, like, doing its job. Because I didn't know it existed. Mm. It was called 20YO. With her musical exposure being so affected, Janet made her way back into film. She started alongside Tyler Perry in Why Did I Get Married? It opened at number one in the box office. Life threw her another curveball in 2009. After eight years together, she and Dupree broke up. He was caught cheating. But to this day, Janet speaks of him fondly and the two are friends. This same year, her brother Michael died of cardiac arrest caused by a fatal combination of drugs given to him by his personal doctor. Janet took time to grieve and mourn with her family, and since then she has become more private, if that's possible, taking time out of the spotlight to work on business deals and writing music. She wrote a book about self-acceptance, and she notes that being alone gave her time to find and learn to love herself. She also took the time to focus on charity work. Jackson lent her talent and powerful voice to support UNICEF and the American Foundation for AIDS Research. Janet did find love again with billionaire fashion mogul Wazam Almana. The two were only together for five years, but they had a son named Issa. So when we say that she found love again, we're absolutely talking about her son. Janet, who is on Instagram pretty heavily, posted the following message for her son on his birthday. You are my love, my life, my soul. You are my everything. Also, she was 50 when she had him. Women are just amazing. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Like, I'm tired now, and I don't have any kids. Yeah. Yep. So what's Janet up to these days? I mean, she started a record company of her own, Rhythm Nation Records. She's touring regularly and had a four-month Las Vegas residency. And most recently, she was the headliner at Essence Fest in 2022. She's been working on an album called Black Diamond, but she's been very focused on her family. Her son is her top priority. When asked about the album, she said, even though it's something I absolutely love, it is still my work, my job. There will be music at some point. Exactly when? I can't say just yet, but there will be. I love it too much not to do it. This is all I know. There is so much that I want to do, but my number one job is being a mama. Well, we love that. And in the meantime, there are 11 other albums to enjoy. So let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's rewind a bit and talk about the start of Janet's career. Let's talk about her dad. Joe Jackson was a family patriarch. He is not an easy man. His son, Jermaine Jackson, once said in a memoir, none of us can remember him holding us or cuddling with us or telling us, I love you. The kids weren't allowed to call him father or dad. He was known as Joseph. Yikes. That's an interesting approach, to Mm -hmm. say the least. It seems that... Each of the children had a different type of relationship with him. Both of Joe's elder daughters, Rebe and Latoya, have accused him of sexual abuse. Janet has said that this is not her experience. She was the youngest. Her oldest sister was 16 when she was born. That's a very long time. We aren't saying that those things didn't happen. Hashtag believe women. But maybe something changed in all of those years. 
Honestly, that wouldn't be surprising because, you know, abusers often have specific targets um, and also the age difference might have led to like other protective member uh, protective measures by the other siblings. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the scenario, but it wouldn't be surprising that the older siblings might have had that experience that the younger ones did not. So mm-hmm. Janet speaks of her father with different eyes from her sister. She is quoted as saying, my father was a good hearted guy. He really protected us. He went through a lot, the racism, the fighting, people seeing your children as money making machines. If that didn't happen, we wouldn't have the success as a family that we've had, said Janet. Due to his role as manager, it seems that he was never relaxed enough to just, you know, be a dad. When Janet expressed interest in doing fun things like Girl Scouts and sleepovers, there wasn't time because there was always a gig to go to. This continued on to her teenage years when she told him that she wanted to go to college. The idea was shut down because Joe wanted her to record an album instead. Despite everything, she thanks him for molding them and their career. It is because of my father that I have the career that I have had. It was tough at times. There was nothing easy about it, period. She adds, but when you see where we came from and look at where we are now we owe so much to my father being a jackson is hard you know joe wasn't the only jackson that had a strong influence on janet's life and career as she was trying to form her own identity she was constantly being compared to her brother michael it was a huge struggle to step out of the family's shadow especially when every interview that she did was people asking about her more successful brother yeah during janet's first tour people would come up to her and ask her about him if he had heard her music, if he liked it, what does Michael think of his baby sister doing music? Michael, Michael, Michael. By the time people stopped asking about Michael and started seeing her in her own right, the molestation allegations against him began. The name Jackson was dirty in the eyes of a lot of people. She lost that advertising deal with Coca-Cola and became tabloid fodder. So speaking of tabloids, uh, Jenna has also expressed feelings about her name and what it means to the tabloids in the media. She said, there's a certain microscope that they want to use with that. When it came to Michael, the negative media attention did impact him, and it played a big part in the distance that grew between them, according to Janet. Her brother became more and more distant as the tabloids closed in. I mean, we've spoken about this before. People reach a level of fame, and it's hard to know who to trust. Like, do people want to be near you for you or to sell a story? With Michael, this made him distrust members of his family and push them away. Janet states that she was closest to Michael growing up and seeing your best friend grow more distant and paranoid must have been really heartbreaking to deal with. Yeah, the tabloids always made a big deal out of Janet's secret marriages. But I mean, were they really secret or were they just private? You know, like Mm -hmm. not everything is for us. And the tabloids have always had a way of overstepping. There's a rumor that Janet Jackson had a secret baby with her husband, James Barge, in the 80s. Where did that baby go? I mean, the rumor is that she gave the baby to her eldest sister to raise. And this rumor has followed her since the 1980s because of the tablet. And it's also followed her sister and her niece as well. So it's not Mm. something that's just impacting her. It's impacting Mm -hmm. this child and so on. Like, imagine her niece being like having doubts that maybe my mom is not my mom because of all these tabloid rumors that you see. And people constantly putting like a picture of you next to your aunt and being like don't they look similar and it's like of course they look similar they're all from the same bloodline right like that's that's just frustrating and yeah like you involve people you involve people beyond the people who are famous who you're trying to attack like now you're involving like their children or like their niece like it's ridiculous but 
Janet has been in the public eye since she was seven. Some things need to remain secret to remain private, just so that she can have a normal life. Then there's the incident at the Super Bowl in 2004. And this had very, very far-reaching consequences for Janet. But again, just going to put that out there. Not so much for Justin. Timberlake Mm -hmm. actually emerged from the scandal pretty clean. And if anything, his career got a bit of a boost. So here are some of the repercussions that Janet faced. One of them was getting blacklisted. I'm not sure if younger listeners really get the full picture of how damaging it was to be banned from the two mainstream music channels. Like VH1 and MTV actually used to play music and debuting your music video there was a huge deal. Like for me, I used to watch VH1 when I was getting ready for school. That's how I found most of my favorite artists. I remember seeing the John Mayo music video for No Such Thing, going out and buying the CD the same, same day. The same goes for Amy Winehouse. When I saw the video for Rehab, I went to Sam Goody and bought that album the same day as well. Like, how did you learn about music back then? I I mean, mostly from the radio, but also a bit from VH1 and MTV. But I kind of had to sneak it or not not necessarily sneak it, but I couldn't just like openly watch it in my house. It wasn't like, oh, let's turn on the music videos or whatever. Mm. Um, I I didn't watch it when my parents were around, uh, even if they knew I watched it. Like it just wasn't something. If the TV was on and my parents were home, it was because they were watching something. Okay, but mostly it was from the radio. I, I was a big radio person. Music at this time, though, it was about record stores, like word of mouth, mm-hmm. radio, music videos. I bought my cassettes and CDs at the like the Sam Goody and the FYE oh <laughs> my God, for your entertainment. Yeah. FYE. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, man. We're uh, old. Yeah. Did you buy anything at the Wiz? No, I don't think we had that where I was. Oh, no. We had Wiz. I don't know. I don't remember. Just like that was definitely when you went to the mall on the weekend with your friends, you would go to whatever music store was in your mall. Mm -hmm. But I know. Let's go to the mall. (laughs) That's the 90s. in me. There was iTunes in 2004 anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, but like iPods were still really costly. They weren't so mainstream. It like Everybody didn't just have it. It, This was Mm. after Napster, but before iTunes really became so ubiquitous. So there's, it's like that in-between period to a certain extent. As we said earlier, Janet was known for a good dance number. Music videos were where she shined. Taking that medium away definitely hurt her and it hurt the people that she worked with. The scandal silenced her and then tried to hit her with a $550,000 fine from the FCC. The court case would follow her for years. I mean, ultimately, she didn't have to pay, but the uncertainty for years would have not been easy to deal with. Like, hey, you might have to pay all this money. Just be aware of it. I mean, just, you know, just just hold it to the side. I mean, she had a lot of money, but like, that's a, still a ton to just give away over a mistake. Could you imagine? Like, you break a vase somewhere and they're like, oh, you owe us $550,000. And again, not wholly her mistake in fact practically not her mistake at all yes she was just existing mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway the reasons that the media gave as to why jackson would quote pull such a stunt eye roll they mm. were everywhere janet was releasing an album the following week so it was you know it was a stunt for publicity I mean, even though she had a 30-year career and was really successful, suddenly the only way to sell an album was to, you know, show some nipple. 
Oh, yeah, totally. They also brought up her past, claiming that she has always been sexually provocative and over the top, pointing to the Rolling Stones cover where her boobs are being held by a man. Her literal husband, not just like some rando either, you know, yeah. like. But the thing with this argument is like, only if she was always this provocative, which she was, then what was the point of flashing a live audience where she could, when she could do it on an album cover or in a music video? I mean, even if we look at the incident as just a mistake, which it really seems like it was, did the punishment match the crime? Janet lost out on exposure and acting roles and even the most random things, like a Disney statue. Yeah, yeah. So the park actually made a life-size statue of Mickey dressed like Janet in her all-black leather outfit from the 1989 Rhythm Nation video. And it was removed after the Super Bowl. The then-spokesman from Disney, Gary Foster, explained... Considering all the controversy it drew, we talked it over for a couple days and decided it would be best to replace hers with a new one. Also, I'm seeing like Mickey in all leathers and I'm just like, that's somebody's thing. <laughs> that's somebody's thing. <laughs> there is a Disney adult who was into it, but I, I have a picture of it because as soon as I saw this, I was like, oh my God, I need to know what this looked like. And it's really cute. He's got like his arms crossed in like a... Yo MTV Raps pose. It's very cute. And okay. this thing weighed like 700 pounds. So I'm like, what'd you do with it? Like, do you think like they melted it down or is it like in someone's basement right now? Definitely in someone's like creepy basement. <laughs> or maybe in the, maybe in their special room. <laughs> oh my God. It's Mickey in leather. It's Mickey in leather. I don't know. I, I think Disney overreacted there, but yeah, so we'll share that to we'll share that picture to the drive so you can you can see if it's if it's just an ode to uh, Rhythm Nation or if it's a leather daddy situation for <laughs> Mickey. <laughs> so social media is constantly a game changer. In 2018, Justin Timberlake hosted the Super Bowl halftime show and Twitter had like a field day. One Janet Jackson fan and former football player Matthew Cherry tweeted. We should do a hashtag Janet Jackson Appreciation Day this Sunday. People started to repost their favorite Janet moments. It was like a real, a real experience on the internet. I remember that. It just says so much that he was invited back, but she hasn't been. Yes, right? Right? Like they so still much. weren't playing her music videos, but like they invited him to host. Mm-hmm. Ugh, gag. And I mean, beyond the hashtag movement here, it started a real conversation about Jackson's punishment, right? People began to do some critical thinking, perhaps, maybe, mm-hmm. kind of. And the redemption of Janet was upon us. In 2018, even the former head of the FCC, Michael Powell, came out and said that the situation and the response was overblown. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about Janet's legacy. So, like, her career is a very long one. She's been in the spotlight since she was seven, and she just turned 56. With the Super Bowl scandal behind her, people were coming forward to praise her publicly again. In October 2018, she received her third nomination for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Questlove shared the following post on his Instagram. As a voting member of the At Rock Hall, it's criminal that At Janet Jackson has not been inducted yet. Not to take away from her peers in the RRHOF that made remarks in the 80s, but half of them cannot claim they changed music. Quest saw them ignoring her nominations as a clear snub and further backlash from Nipplegate. 
Janet was announced as one of the seven inductees in of the 2019 class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. During her acceptance speech, she used her time to urge the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to induct more women. Speaking of women, Janet's career has been inspirational, if not the blueprint, for many other female artists. Artists such as Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Jennifer Lopez, Sierra, Normani, Tiana Taylor, and the members of Destiny's Child all have spoken out in the past about how she inspired their careers. Beyonce's military-style outfits that her and her dancers wore during the 2016 Super Bowl halftime show was clearly an ode to Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation look. That was allowed, but Janet's not allowed. No. Well, I mean, I doubt that was allowed. I'm sure people had problems with Beyonce doing I heard. People just have problems with Beyonce and they need to get over that. (laughs) Yes, but I remember people being like, she was doing a, oh my God, what is the name? Black Panthers type thing. Oh, and that right. she was inciting violence because people hate when black women have like a mission statement. They're always inciting violence when they're just like, hey, can you stop killing us? <clears throat> but that is a topic for another time. Yeah. Janet's legacy is filled with awards and accolades. Jackson has been winning award after award for all of her talents. She's received 11 American Music Awards, five Grammy Awards, 10 MTV Video Music Awards, and 11 Billboard Music Awards. She has seven number one albums on the Billboard Albums Chart, 10 number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100, and a record-breaking streak of 18 consecutive top 10 hits. She's also received the Glad Vanguard Award for her support of the LGBTQ community. So not only is she fiercely talented, she's a humanitarian. In 2005, Janet received the Humanitarian Award from the Human Rights Campaign and the AIDS Project Los Angeles due to her work raising money for AIDS charities. Also, for how she features queer dancers in her music videos and tours. Her sets are diverse, and so is her musical subject matter. From LGBTQ plus rights to domestic violence to racial and sexual discrimination, Janet has been singing and speaking out since the 1980s. She's constantly pushing for more female empowerment and representation in the music industry. Through her music, she has encouraged female sexual liberation. Jackson is looking to empower women to ask for what they want, be it freedom, respect, or oral sex and orgasms. Check out the song Would You Mind for more on that last one. I will add it to our playlist. Jenna is constantly making people rethink what a woman can do from having a baby at 50 to touring at 56. Janet shows us that age is irrelevant. It all started with control. Despite being a part of this huge family of mega entertainers, Janet stood out. She made her own name, became a superstar by shifting her image, but never reinventing herself. Miss Jackson just slowly gave us more and more of herself through her writing and her visuals. By doing so, we got some truly timeless music and an inspiring icon. All right. So final thoughts, takeaways. So my takeaway is that Janet Jackson is like pretty amazing. But my takeaway is also that it doesn't matter. Okay, so like hear me out. Before Nipplegate, this woman had a 30-year long career, generations of fans, and one interaction with a white dude caused other dudes to freak out so badly that it blacklisted her for at least a decade. I feel like Matthew McConaughey in A Time to Kill was like, now imagine that she's white. Would this (laughs) have been a different story if it was like Celine Dion? Like, I think that there still would have been some female bashing because, you know, men. But I feel like the the need to take a Black woman down a peg is what led to the banning. People like to see successful women lose it all. And I think that's why she's so private. And I'm so glad that she is. Like, do whatever you need to do to protect your peace. And if that means secret marriages, so be it. Like, 
she'll tell us who she is through her music and i'm totally okay with that yeah i jackson's beyond strong right it it really angers me that she had to be that way though mm-hmm. you know like Sure, people can say that she had a leg up because she's a Jackson. And maybe that influenced her getting in the door initially. But she's had to fight for her right to stay there ever since. And Mm. I I would say that she's more than earned her place in the industry, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and in history. Exactly. So just a few resources and references if you're interested in learning more than what we were able to share with you here today. Jana Jackson, the documentary was released in... 2022, directed by Benjamin Hirsch. That one's on Hulu. Malfunction, The Dressing Down of Janet Jackson, another documentary on Hulu. Why 2018 Could Be the Year of Janet Jackson's Very Delayed Redemption by Emily Yar for The Washington Post. And True You, A Journey to Finding and Loving Yourself, a memoir by Janet Jackson and David Ritz. So let us know what you thought of this episode. Anything to add to the conversation that we left out? Or do you have any suggestions for women that we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, anytime, any place. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Check out our Big Reputations merch. The link's in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Thanks again to our wonderful logo designer, Samantha Marmalejo, for putting that together for us. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you've made a purchase. And remember, we've got a Patreon now. Patreon.com slash Big Reputations pod. Or just check out the link in our Linktree. And whether you pledge 2 or $5, you will get a shout out in an episode. And if you choose the $5 level, you will have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episodes. These are short mini episodes about amazing women throughout history. Our next episode will be discussing Paula Abdul, who, as we know, was the choreographer for Janet Jackson. This month, we have a shout out for Naomi and TJ. Thank you again for being such amazing supporters of the podcast. We love you. (laughs) All right, let's wrap this episode up. Kim, what quote do you have for us this time? So I have one from Janet Jackson herself. You don't have to hold on to the pain to hold on to the memory. For sure. And as always, believe women. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Little Reps, our little Patreons. This week's little reputation is about someone who will straight up be forever your girl. That's right. We're covering Miss Paula Julie Abdul today. I'm so surprised you wrote those puns. Like, that's very good. And I was like, I'm impressed. Thank you. Straight I was really proud of forever myself. Forever your girl. I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud of you myself. That's very good.